Hello and welcome to our online worship service. I'm Nathan Boyette, one of the pastors here at Annapolis EP Church. We are so happy that you're joining us online for our worship service. We would love to hear from you if you are new to our church. If you're checking us out online, please reach out. You can find all of our information at epannapolis.org. Today we are going to be looking at Acts 12, 6 to 19. Acts 12 is a transition chapter in the book of Acts. Um, Luke is taking us away from events in Jerusalem and the surrounding regions to a more broad picture of the mission to the Gentiles in the entire Mediterranean world. And in Acts 13, Luke will pick up that mission. But here, before he turns to that mission in chapter 12, he wants to emphasize one more time how in the midst of the apparent powerlessness of persecution and trials, Christians can rely on the Lord for deliverance and power. Let's read Acts 12, 6 to 19. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent some time there. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that you've given it to us and that all of it is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We pray, Holy Spirit, speak to us now through it. Be with us in our homes as we listen to your word preached. Holy Spirit, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In the movie Groundhog Day, Phil, uh, played by Bill Murray, is a weather reporter, and he's stuck in the same day on repeat, Groundhog Day. Phil lives in this endless repeat of who knows how long. He goes from confusion to despair to anger to finally enjoyment and seeking to perfect his life in that one day. He starts this journey self-consumed and living only for himself, but by the end of the movie, he is living for others, saving children cats, helping old ladies change tires, and has improved himself in countless ways. He has learned how to 
ice sculpt with a chainsaw. The biggest change is in his relationship with Rita, the other main character of the movie, the producer of the weather show that he does. Rita hates Phil at the beginning of the movie. He is self-consumed, arrogant, thinks that she likes him when she has no interest at all. But as the movie goes on, there's a transformation, a change. During the endless repetition, Phil has changed and become a different person. And Rita and Phil begin to fall in love. And over the course of the movie, Phil develops the perfect day where he gets to know Rita and spends great time with her. And she falls in love with him as well. Rita says, I'm amazed and I'm not easily amazed. Phil asks, about what? Rita responds, about how you can start a day with one kind of expectation and end up so completely different. Phil says, well, do you like how the day is turning out? Rita says, very much. You couldn't plan a day like this. Phil laughs and responds, well, you can. It just takes an awful lot of work. Unlike Phil, who got to live in the same series of events over and over so that he could craft and perfect the perfect day that won Rita's love, we, each one of us, only get one shot at each and every single day. And at various points in our life, our days will not go like we want. They will not happen the way we anticipate. Things will happen that are outside of our control. Life doesn't go our way sometimes. Maybe because of simple circumstances or the reality that we are creatures and we are not God and so we are not in control. Or maybe because of ours or others' sin, life won't go our way. Regardless of why, our response to life not going our way is often characterized by sin, anger, fear, anxiety, jealousy, manipulation, control are just a few of the sinful responses that we have when life doesn't go our way. In our passage today, we see a whole series of unexpected events where life is not going the way that all of the participants anticipated. And so the big question we're gonna examine is how do we respond when life doesn't go our way? How do we respond when life doesn't go our way? And in the individuals and groups in our passage, we see three different responses. One of angry control, one of doubting disbelief, and one of peaceful reliance. First, angry control. The first person's response that we see is Herod. Herod had recently killed James, one of the leaders of the church. Herod had imprisoned Peter and was waiting to have him executed because it was the Passover. Who was this Herod? There's tons of Herods in history and in the Bible, all from us, the same family. And so we need to examine this a little bit. This was Herod Agrippa, who ruled Palestine from 41 to 44 AD. He was the grandson of King Herod, the King Herod the Great in the New Testament, who had murdered all the baby boys in Bethlehem. Our Herod, Herod Agrippa's father, had been murdered by his grandfather. And then this Herod had been sent off to Rome to be educated. He was a childhood friend of the eventual emperors Caligula and Tiberius, two emperors who had been known for their cruelty and their carnality. The Herod of our passage had lived a life of privilege, wealth, carnality, cruelty, so that he was accustomed to getting what he wanted when he wanted. Herod was a politician, skilled at seeing the times that he lived in and adapting to those times in a way that earned the approval of the majority of people. Herod had executed James with a sword, and he had done so to please the Jewish crowds. According to the Jewish laws of the day, those who were apostates from the Jewish faith would be, should be executed with the sword. 
This action won Herod the approval of the Jewish religious leaders. Christianity was causing a great bit of trouble and stir within Jerusalem. And so Herod, seeing the approval of the Jewish leaders, imprisoned Peter, planning to execute him as well. Executing James and imprisoning Peter for execution was a systematic attempt to cripple and destroy the Christian church. Herod thought, let's destroy the leadership and the church will follow. Herod wanted to control the events in his city for his own maximum benefit. As a king, he was in a precarious position. He ruled by Rome's benevolence, and he had to accommodate all the competing factions, Rome, the Pharisees, the Sadducee priests, the common people to a degree. And in killing James and executing Peter for imprisonment, uh, uh, imprisoning Peter for execution, Herod thought he was going to get everybody's approval. But as we read in the passage, Peter is miraculously rescued by the Lord. Herod's response to his plans going out of control is anger and avoidance. In verse 19, we see that he executes the soldiers tasked with guarding Peter, and then he leaves Judea to go to the neighboring city of Caesarea. Executing soldiers who allowed prisoners to escape was normal in the Roman Empire, and Peter was furthermore known for escaping prisons as well. In Acts 5, he escaped a prison before, but Herod shows no mercy or desire to even know what happened. Herod cannot execute Peter as he planned for his own political gain, and so instead he responds in angry retribution and executes the guards. Herod then avoids the situation by leaving Jerusalem to go to Caesarea, his capital. When life doesn't go as planned or intended, many people either try to control the situation or they respond in anger and avoidance. This is not just true of those who do not know or believe in God. This is true of Christians. We also attempt to do this. Each of one of us has most likely attempted to control situations or responded in anger or avoidance when we don't like how our life is going. The 16th century Reformation was a time of great turmoil and upheaval where people's lives and plans did not go as they hoped and expected. When Leo X became Pope, a great many people had placed their hopes and expectations in him, hopes and expectations that were dashed by a stubborn monk named Martin Luther as he led the charge of reforming the Catholic Church and undoing much of what Leo and his followers wanted to accomplish. When Martin Luther began this reformation, Leo issued a papal bull called Arise, O Lord. And in this declaration, he said that a fox has arisen to destroy the vineyard. A wild boar has come in to destroy it. He was talking about Luther. He charged Luther's works all should be burned. And he declared that Luther had to recant of everything he had taught in 60 days or be excommunicated as a heretic and face the condemnation of the church and the wrath of God. Luther, of course, refused to recant, and the, empire, and the entire might of the church and a great many Catholic nations came to bear on Luther and all of his followers, with the result that a great many people were persecuted and even executed for being a Protestant, a, refor a reformer. Pope Leo X and the Catholic leadership had expectations and hopes they hoped that Leo's sale of indulgences, which Luther opposed, would fund an opulent restoration of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. They hoped that Leo's rule as pontiff would see a revitalized Christian Europe to face off against the encroaching Muslim Ottoman Empire. Luther's protests and reformation dashed all of those hopes 
And Leo and the Catholics responded in anger, attempts to control, fear, a response of anger and control, avoidance, fear, jealousy, and so many other emotions and actions often happens in our lives when our life doesn't go our way, both for believers and those who do not yet know Christ. Do you struggle with these types of emotions and actions when life doesn't go your way? Do you attempt to control and manipulate things? Do you respond in anger? If life doesn't go our way and we respond in anger and attempts to control and manipulate, this is sin. We are sinning against God and others. So we should confess and repent of that sin. We should turn from our sin and turn in reliance to the Lord. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to feel frustration. It's okay to feel heartache when things go horribly wrong. But anger, control, manipulation, sinful jealousy, and other sinful actions and emotions are very different from the emotion-filled prayers and lamentations of the Psalms when David and other psalmists wrote and cried out to God when things weren't going their way. They're different. It's still okay to lament and grieve and express your anger to God, but to lash out is different. What's at root of the anger and the desire to control or our other sinful responses? Whether we are aware of it or not, we want to be God. We think we know what's best for our lives. We lack humility. We lack trust in God. We need to examine ourselves. We need to examine our desires, our emotions, our motives, and our responses to life. And as we examine our hearts, we need to question whether we have truly confessed and repented of our sin. If we've truly confessed of wanting to take God's place, we need to confess, repent, believe in the gospel and then submit to God as our creator and our king. And as we walk with him, we will learn to not respond to life's lemons with anger, despair, jealousy, control. The second response we see in our passage is doubting disbelief. When Peter is rescued and delivered from the prison, he goes to a home where he anticipates Christians will be gathered. He goes to Mary's home. Mary is the mother of Mark, who will eventually be a missionary alongside Paul and Barnabas and will eventually write the gospel of Mark at Peter's direction. When Peter arrives at the home, we see a very humorous event occur. In verses 12 to 14, Peter knocks on the door and a servant girl named Rhoda comes and answers and she is so shocked and filled with joy that she leaves Peter standing in the street, the door still locked, and runs inside to tell the gathered praying Christians what has happened. And now from 12, 5, verse 5 in chapter 12, we know that the gathered Christians were earnestly praying when this all occurred. But we don't know the exact content of their prayer. Maybe they were praying that Peter would have the courage to die an unashamed death. Maybe they were praying that he would be able to witness to the soldiers and the government officials as he was imprisoned. Some of them were potentially praying for him to be delivered and saved alive from prison. I personally think the, la the last potential prayer was less likely. Why? Because when Rhoda goes to tell the gathered disciples that Peter is alive and free, they respond in doubting disbelief. They say to Rhoda, you're out of your mind. She continues to insist, no, Peter's there. And they reply, he's dead. It must be his angel. It's as if they say, Rhoda, shh, can't you see we're praying? Don't bother us with the answer to the prayers that we're praying. Kent Hughes, reflecting on this passage, writes, we pray fervently for the conversion of a relative, and then when it happens, we say, amazing, I can't believe it. What is amazing is our slowness to believe God's ability 
and willingness to answer our prayers. The power of fervent, even if doubting prayer, is greater than that of kings. The doubting, disbelieving disciples' prayers were more powerful than King Herod and the might of the Roman Empire. The gathered, praying disciples doubt the answer to their prayers, even as it's waiting on the doorstep. But we also, too often, doubtfully disbelieve that God will or can answer our prayers. The reality is that we are all in the process of growing in our faith and trust in the Lord. That's why Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, had a nickname for his disciples where he called them, O ye of little faith, again and again. In the Gospel of Mark, a father of a boy with an unclean spirit comes to ask Jesus to heal his son. The father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, and Jesus responds, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. We all struggle at times with unbelief and doubt. This is normal in a sinful fallen world. There are two types of faith. There's, of course, saving faith, where you once and for all place your trust in the Lord Jesus, but then there's faith that goes throughout our life. And we can understand that this faith that goes throughout our life is on a spectrum where we have little faith or much faith. We have varying degrees of faith, and we are all in the process of growing in our faith and trust of God. And as we cry out to our Lord Jesus, he will help us in our unbelief and our doubt. Now, faith and belief includes both our head and our hearts. The disciples seem to not believe in their heart, and so they doubt when Peter comes knocking. When life doesn't go as planned or intended, sometimes we respond in doubt and disbelief that God will answer our prayers. Doubt and disbelief that God is in the midst of the situation we're going through. Doubt and disbelief that God is God, sovereign and in control. Martin Luther, the reformer, lived in the Princedom of Saxony. The ruler elector Frederick III hid Luther from the might of the Catholic Church in Wartburg Castle, the place where he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Throughout his life, Luther struggled with intense depression, doubt, anxiety, and fear. But especially during his stay in Wartburg Castle, which was right after he his life had been threatened by Pope Leo X and the Holy Roman Emperor Charles. At Warburg Castle, Luther underwent intense spiritual warfare, constant doubt, hearing lies from his own conscience and from the devil. And in his shoes, who wouldn't struggle with doubt when his writings and his teachings could impact how millions understood God, the gospel, and salvation? If such an influential Christian can experience doubt and disbelief, we should not feel discouraged if we also feel doubt. For some reason, many Christians are not comfortable with doubt, but doubt is a part of the human life in this sinful, fallen world. When we doubt, we should go to the Lord in prayer, arm ourselves with God's word, live in fellowship with other Christians who will challenge, encourage us in the midst of our doubt. Martin Luther, writing to a doubting Christian, said, when one is possessed with doubt, that though he call upon the Lord, he cannot be heard, and that God has turned his heart from him and is angry with him, this Christian must arm himself with God's word. Luther goes on to admonish people struggling with doubt, anxiety, and fear to pray and to listen to other godly Christians who will encourage and counsel you in the midst of your doubt. We need to arm ourselves with God's word. But we as modern Christians, or modern Americans, spend entirely too much time on social media in front of computer and television screens, consuming TV, 
movies, news, social media posts, and all of this subtly influences us away from God's word, away from God's promises, so that we are not armed with God's word in the face of doubt. And so I encourage you, do not mindlessly consume, but rather consume God's word so that you can be renewed by God's spirit inside each of us, as the scripture so often encourages. Romans 12, be renewed in your mind. Colossians 3, Paul says that we have put off the old self and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of God after the image of its creator. Be filled with God's word so that you can be transformed. Now, this is not an instantaneous event, but rather a process that happens over our entire life as we are slowly transformed. The third and final response to life not going one's way in our passage is Peter's response and his response is one of peaceful reliance. Peter did not plan for his close brother James to be executed or for himself to be imprisoned, awaiting death. Peter knew that eventually he would undergo persecution and die because Jesus had told him that that would happen, but Peter had no idea when. At this point in his life, he had so many plans about his future life, ministry, and work, most likely. But life did not go Peter's way and he was put in prison awaiting execution. In verse 6, it shows us Peter bound with two chains between two soldiers with guards at the door awaiting execution by the sword like James. Yet what is Peter doing? Peter is asleep, fast asleep. Peter is peacefully relying on the Lord. We may think that Peter just assumed the Lord would deliver him from prison as had occurred before in Acts 5, but we shouldn't assume that. Rather, I think Peter was at peace in the Lord's plans and timing, even if that included his death. Peter trusted the Lord and what the Lord would do. Peter's deliverance is entirely at the Lord's hand. Peter is almost completely inactive in his deliverance. Peter's asleep when it occurs. Throughout his prison break, he's practically asleep. The angel tells him exactly what to do, word for word, and Peter follows those directions as if he's almost a robot. Once free, in verse 11, Peter awakens from his days and says, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Another interesting thing to note in our passage is that Peter has been completely transformed from his character during Jesus' earthly ministry. In the Gospels, we see Peter often impetuously trying to control the situations that he finds himself in. For example, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cut off the high priest's servant's ear when they came to arrest Jesus. Peter boldly states to Jesus and all of the other disciples that he will go with Jesus to death, but then a mere days and hours later, Peter is denying Jesus, terrified out of his mind. But Peter now is a different person, no longer trying to control and manipulate life's events. What's changed? He has come to believe the gospel. He has come to believe the power of God seen in the risen Savior, and he's been transformed by it. And he knows that God is the strong deliverer who is in control. So the big question that our whole passage addresses is how do we respond when life doesn't go our way? And the answer is that God is our strong deliverer, so we should respond in peaceful reliance. God is our strong deliverer, so we should respond in peaceful reliance. Martin Luther was a very emotional man, often filled with exuberance and joy, but he also had terrible fits of depression, darkness, despair, 
And one time he was so depressed that his friends recommended that he go on a retreat for a change of scene and air so that if he could get relief. And he went away, but he came back home as miserable as ever, just incredibly depressed. And when he went home, he saw his wife, Katerina von Bora, who he called Caddy, sitting in the sitting room, surrounded by their children, and all of them were dressed in black, the blackest clothes possible. And Luther said, oh, who's dead? Caddy replied, why, doctor, have you not heard that God is dead? My husband, Martin Luther, would never be in such a state of mind if he had a living God to trust in. Luther burst out in laughter and said, Caddy, you are a wise woman. I've been acting as if God were dead, and I will do so no more. Go and take off your black. How often do we live and act as if God is dead? Our God is not dead. Our God is alive, and he is sitting on the throne in heaven. And so we can peacefully rely on him in the midst of troubles and challenges. When life throws us curveballs, we peacefully rely and trust on him. In the worship guide, you'll find a quote printed from C.S. Lewis, and he says, Life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. Life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. If we have a relationship with our God, who is the God of the entire universe, the King and Savior, we can have peace even in the difficulties that life presents us. As we live this life, we will face difficulties, as Peter did, as the Christians did. But if we know and live with our God, we will have peace in the midst of that. If we do not know our God and his character or the promises of his word, then we will not lay hold of the peace that is available to us, and we will be filled with anxiety, anger, attempts to control. Peter was radically transformed from who he was during Jesus' earthly ministry, no longer attempting to control and manipulate events as he wanted, but rather peacefully relying on the Lord, even if it meant his death. This came through some transformative experiences Can you imagine being him and being forgiven of your betrayal by the resurrected Jesus? But it also came through daily faithful reliance on the Lord, study of his scripture, prayer, ministry, and fellowship with other believers. And after decades of life and numerable experiences of life not going his way, Peter wrote to Christians throughout the world in 1 Peter 1, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Life doesn't go our way. Difficulties, trials arise, but our God uses them as a means to test and strengthen our faith so that we can grow in peaceful reliance. As we go through this life and our faith is refined and strengthened, we can take hope from the reality that in Jesus Christ, our faith is secured and accomplished. It is finished. We will obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, because our God is a strong deliverer. Because he is a strong deliverer, we can peacefully rely on him in the midst of all troubles and trials when life doesn't go our way. 
Let's pray to him. Father God, we thank you so much that you, our strong deliverer, has provided us an abundance of your word to give us strength and weapons to combat the lies, the doubts, the things that attempt to cause us to not believe in you. Please help us to use your word to strengthen our faith so that we might walk in peaceful reliance in you every single day of our lives. We pray, Father God, that we would take advantage of prayer, an opportunity to converse with you about the things that we need, the ways we want to see you transform our world. And though we doubt, as the disciples do, let us pray so that we can see your power enacted in this world. And pray that as we go out from here this week, you might use us in amazing ways as we rely on you in peace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.